0: Today is July the 6th, 2022. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and the other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. On the Progressive Radio Network, that's prn.live, L-I-V-E, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is also available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Please sweep Google searches to find suspects. The tactic is facing its first legal challenge. A teen charged with setting a fire that killed five members of a Senegalese immigrant's family in Denver, Colorado, has become the first person to challenge police use of Google search histories to find someone who might have committed a crime, according to his lawyers. The pushback against this surveillance tool, known as a reverse keyword search, is being closely watched by privacy and abortion rights advocates, who are concerned that it could soon be used to investigate women who search for information about obtaining an abortion in states where the procedure is now illegal. In documents filed Thursday in Denver District Court, lawyers for the 17-year-old argued that the police violated the Constitution when they got a judge to order Google to check its vast database of internet searches for users who type in the address of a home before it was set ablaze on August the 5th, back in 2020. Three adults and two children died in the fire. That search of Google's records helped point investigators to the teen and two friends, who were eventually charged in the deadly fire, according to police records. All were juveniles at the time of their arrest. Two of them, including the 17-year-old, are being tried as adults. They both pleaded not guilty. The defendant in juvenile court has not yet entered a plea. The 17-year-old's lawyers says the search and all evidence that came from it should be thrown out because it amounted to a blind expedition through billions of, of Google users' queries based on a hunch that the killer typed the address into a search bar. That, the lawyer argued, violated the Fourth Amendment, which protects against unreasonable searches. People have a privacy interest in their internet search history, which is really an archive of your personal expression, says the lead litigator of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, Fourth Amendment Center, and one of the 17-year-old's attorneys. Search engines like Google are a gateway to a vast trove of information online and the way most people find what they're looking for. Every one of those queries reveals something deeply private about a person, things they might not share with friends, family, or clergy. Keyword searches have grown increasingly common in recent years, as police have used them to search for suspects in a variety of crimes, including a string of Texas bombings, sexual abuse in Wisconsin, and a fraud in Minnesota. They differ from traditional search warrants in that police seek them without knowing the name of a suspect. Instead, they're seeking information that might lead them to a suspect. Google does not publish data on the number of keyword search requests it receives and did not respond to a request to provide that information. Google also did not respond to requests for comment. Now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, privacy advocates and women's rights groups worry that keyword searches could expand into investigations of illegal abortions in states that have outlawed them. Police officers are going to try to investigate people they think are violating those laws. One way of finding that is to ask Google to hand over information on everyone who has searched for a Planned Parenthood in a particular place. Said Surveillance Litigation Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit civil rights group that plans to file a brief supporting the 17 year old's challenge to the keyword search warrant. If Google is allowed or required to turn over information in this Colorado case, there's nothing to stop a court in a state that has outlawed abortion to also require Google to turn over information on that kind of keyword search. Abortion rights advocates are also concerned about geofence warrants, in which police ask Google to provide information on devices that were near the scene of a crime in order to find a suspect. That tool was found unconstitutional by a judge in Virginia last year, but that ruling doesn't restrain police in other parts of the country. Denver police, with help from the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, turned to the keyboard search several weeks after the fire when they had yet to identify the people caught on security video in masks just before the fire was set. The keyword search warrant, issued in November 2020, led Google to search for anyone who queried the address of the home that burned in the 15 days before the fire. Google delivered information on 61 queries, according to court filings, along with the IP address a unique number for each computer on the Internet. Investigators focused on a handful of those queries, asking Google to provide detailed information for them. One of them was linked to the 17-year-old. From there, investigators examined the teen's other online activities, including Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and text messages. The investigation revealed that the fire was set in a mistaken attempt at revenge against someone who'd stolen one of the co-defendant's phones. A Denver detective testified last year. After the fire, the co-defendant realized the people killed were not the people he thought stole the phone, the detective said. If it wasn't for the keyword search warrant, investigators would never have suspected the 17-year-old or his friends, his lawyers wrote in the motion filed Thursday. The starting point was a search of billions of Google users and or without a shred of evidence to search any one of them, the lawyer wrote. The lawyers called the search a privacy violation of not only the seventeen year old defendant, but of all people who conducted a search on Google during the seventeen day period. The Denver Police Department declined to comment. So did the Denver District Attorney's Office, which is prosecuting the case. The defense lawyer said that allowing the government To sift through Google's vast trove of searches is akin to allowing the government access to users' thoughts, concerns, questions and fears. Every one of those queries reveals something deeply private about a person, things they might not share with friends, family or clergy. The defense also said, Psychiatrists in Denver, abortion providers near me, does God exist? Every day people pose those questions, to Google seeking information. This reverse search will definitely come before the Supreme Court at some point in the future. Google password manager to cross all platforms. Chrome users will receive a warning if Google thinks a saved password has been compromised. Google is updating its password manager to make it easier to use and more consistent across platforms. The tool could also help users make their accounts more secure, following the upgrades, for one thing. Google is making the password management experience the same in Chrome and Android settings. It will automatically group together passwords for the same sites and apps. You'll now be able to add passwords directly to Google's password manager on top of saving them when you log into an account. Google suggests Android users will be able to log into sites fast on Chrome with a touch-the-login feature, which will be available on an overlay on the bottom of the screen. This builds a biometric verification feature Google added to Chrome last year. In addition, Google says it will notify you through the password checkup screen if you're using compromised credentials. Android users will see alerts about weak and reused passwords too. If you receive such a warning, it should be easy to correct the reused passwords. If you receive such a warning, it should be easy to correct the issue with the automatic password change feature. Compromised password warnings will be available for Chrome users on iOS, Windows, Mac OS, Linux, and Chrome OS. Last week, Google added the ability for iOS users to set Chrome as their autofill provider. The idea was to make it easier for people who use Google Password Manager to sign in to any app on their iPhone. Google recently introduced the option for Android users to set a home screen shortcut for Password Manager as well. Tech giants like Facebook and Twitter hit news headlines with data leaks, breaches, and privacy violations almost every day. But not Google. The data harvesting company makes us believe that they care about online privacy. However, they have overlooked an error that stored users' passwords in plain text for over a decade. Google's business model is based on providing free service in exchange for your data. You can see exactly how much data collects by going to your settings. It might surprise you. Google claims to be privacy-friendly and even goes to the lens of criticizing their competitors by saying that online privacy shouldn't be a luxury. Google has been caught many times before violating your privacy, secretly scanning your emails, allowing third parties to read them, tracking your location even when you told them not to do so, using face recognition and scanning your photos. The list goes on. They also make it pretty difficult for you to delete the data that they have gathered about you while also trying to convince you that it is safe to use Google. Should we now entrust Google with all our passwords? Just asking. The European Union Consumer Group filed complaint against Google over deceptive sign-up practices. The European Consumer Organization also known as BEUC, said in a press conference that consumer groups in Europe have filed complaints against Google for using deceptive design, unclear language, and misleading choices in its sign-up process. Contrary to what Google claims about protecting consumers' privacy, tens of millions of Europeans have been placed on a fast track to surveillance when they sign up to a Google account. They are subjected to surveillance by design and by default. Europe's GDPR rules are supposed to make it easy to choose settings that protect your privacy, but Google violates that principle when you create an account. It it also emphasizes that having a Google account is a must for the Android users if they want to get apps from Google Play. The European Consumer Organization said Sign-up is the critical point at which Google makes users indicate their choices about how their account will operate. With only one step, the consumer activates all the account settings that feed Google's surveillance activities. Google does not provide consumers with the option to turn all settings off in one click. The group noted, if you do want more privacy-friendly options, you have to use manual personalization involving five steps with nine clicks and grappling with information that is unclear and misleading. The group first filed complaints about Google's location tracking practices three years ago, and a decision has still not been made by the Irish Data Commissioner in charge. Now, the BEUC has organized 10 consumer groups which have filed complaints in France, Norway, Greece, and other European Union member states. In reply, Google gave the following statement. We know that consumer trust depends on honesty and transparency, which is why we staked our future success on building ever simpler, more accessible controls and giving people clearer choices. And just as important, doing more with less data. We welcome the opportunity to engage on this important topic with Europe's consumer advocates and regulators. People should be able to understand data is generated from their use of Internet services. If they don't like it, they should be able to do something about it. The company also said that it tried to follow the European Union guidance that requires a twofold obligation of being precise and complete on the one hand and understandable on the other hand. It added that it based its choices on extensive research efforts guidance from data protection authorities, and feedback from testers. The BEUC said Google practices haven't changed since it first filed its complaint. Though, they said, we need swift action from the authorities because having one of the biggest players ignoring the GDPR is unacceptable. This case is of strategic importance for which cooperation, among data protection authorities across the European Union must be prioritized and supported by the European Data Protection Board. Google has faced the European Union's wrath before, receiving a $5 billion, that's with a capital B, fine, in 2018 over its app and browser choice practices. Actually, I have no complaint what Google had said, but they did not address the substance of the complaint which is they activate all the account settings that feed Google's surveillance activities right at the start. Google does not provide consumers with the option to turn all settings off in one click. Starlink can now beam Wi-Fi to moving vehicles. It all started with Viasat, who is a provider of high-speed satellite broadband services and secure networking systems covering military and commercial markets. Viasat is worried that its slower Internet service delivered from geostationary satellites will lose customers to Starlink, so they went to court to pause Starlink's expansion. Starlink employs low-elevation orbit satellite service, otherwise known as LEO, that's L-E-O, which enables faster transmission than using stationary geostationary satellites. However, low-elevation satellite requires many more satellites. Viastat went to court last year to slow Starlink's expansion. They asked that Starlink should not be able to provide Internet service to moving vehicles. A three-judge panel at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit was not persuaded saying that Viasat has not satisfied the stringent requirements for a stay pending court review. Failing in the U.S. Court of Appeals, Viasat went to the FCC. That's the Federal Communications Commission. Viasat's bid to stop, or at least slow, slow slow-links explanation, rests on convincing a federal appeals court that the FCC was legally obligated to assess the mega constellations environmental impact before approving spacex request to expand its network these environmental impact studies requires anywhere from 3.1 years to 5.5 years to complete in the meantime the FCC has been imploring internet providers to provide high-speed broadband internet service to rural parts of the country via formally asked the Federal Communications Commission to stay an April 27th license modification that allows SpaceX to continue building out the broadband constellation. Viasat has been providing Internet services to moving vehicles. Viasat is asking the FCC to hit pause on further launches by Starlink until federal courts can review the legality of the license modification. The FCC, however, just approved the company Starlink to provide internet to moving vehicles. Starlink just got the green light to expand on land, air, and sea. The FCC authorized SpaceX to provide Starlink Wi-Fi to vehicles in motion, including semi-trucks, RVs, planes, and boats. The FCC announced its decision last Thursday, allowing the private satellite communications company to expand its recent deals with airline companies. Authorizing a new class of terminals for SpaceX satellite system will expand the range of broadband capabilities to meet the growing user demands that now require connectivity while on the move, whether driving an RV across the country, moving a freighter from Europe to a U.S. port, or while on a domestic or international flight. Elon Musk SpaceX has been building out a satellite mega-constellation in low-Earth orbit with plans to launch over 2,000 satellites to provide broadband internet to distant parts of the globe. Starlink is currently beaming down connectivity to parts of the United States and Canada, as well as New Zealand and some parts of Australia, the United Kingdom and some European countries like Spain and France. The company hopes to expand to the rest of the world by the end of the year. SpaceX is also hoping to establish more partnerships with commercial clients rather than just sticking with regular consumers. In April, Starlink announced its first partnership with a major airline, Hawaiian Airlines, to provide in-flight Wi-Fi for free. Delta Airlines also began testing out Starlink Internet on board its flights. The FCC authorization will allow Starlink to pursue more commercial deals. In June, Cruise Line Royal Caribbean requested that Starlink be able to provide broadband internet on board their cruises. The company also introduced a portability feature in May that would allow users to carry their internet satellite dishes on the go for an additional $25 a month, specifically designed for owners of RVs and mine. But at the time, The satellite dishes could not be used while the RV was in motion. Adobe bringing Photoshop to the web. Adobe is bringing Photoshop to the web for largely the same reason content creators do search engine optimization. The need to capture customers from the moment they are searching on the web how to do something. Why it matters. Content creators have long tailored their products to search engines, now software makers are getting in on the act. Adobe is testing Photoshop for the web in Canada. Current paying customers outside Canada are also able to try out the browser-based photo editing app. The company already has Acrobat for the web, which is used by 50 million people per month. Double the rate from a year ago. Adobe wants to be able to capture users at the point of intent. Adobe has switched from selling software licenses to a largely subscription-based model. Mobile and web apps as freemium products serve as the top of their sales funnel, the point at which potential customers enter their world and can be targeted with pitches and offers. Another product, Adobe Express, brings together features from products like Premiere, Acrobat, and Photoshop, in a project format designed to appeal to a broader audience. Adobe already has millions of active users. They are aggressively taking core capabilities from their desktop apps and bringing them directly into Adobe Express, Adobe's mobile scanning product. Adobe Scan has 100 million registered users. After transitioning its core audience of design professionals to the subscription business, Adobe says that new customers are helping fuel its recent growth. The result is that Adobe added 1,500 employees last quarter and plans to continue hiring even as other tech companies have begun to cut back. Adobe is also trying to invest in further out opportunities, including the metaverse. For now, it's focused on how to help businesses to digitize their products in ways that can benefit sales through online try-ons and virtual photo shoots for ads. Adobe want to go where the opportunity is today. In the past, the company has gone with a more experimental approach, trying out lots of different ideas. The company has rolled out a number of mobile products over the years, many of which got scrapped after they failed to gain significant traction. More recently, Adobe has focused on bringing its core products to new devices. In addition to the new web-based app, it made Photoshop and Lightroom available on the iPad. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. Using care on social media now and during job hunting.
1: This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's the time where we get down to business. We talk about the work world, the how it impacts us, whether it's IT or not. Generally, though, it's with an IT spin. And I want to talk to you. This is kind of a continuation on we something we talked about last week. A matter of, uh, you know, however you might lose your job. And you may not have lost your job, but this may be some information you can give to other people and help them. Uh, however, it is, try to take positive items from that. Now, to that same extent, I, I want to go in, a, I want to cover a couple of different items. First off, social media. Uh, I, I want to make sure that you don't burn your bridges uh, on social media. Both. In regards to your previous employer, but in regards to future employers, I will tell you that I have seen a lot of people that have gone to a brand new level of inappropriate conversations in social media. And the modern employer is checking your Facebook account. They're checking your LinkedIn. They're checking a lot of different things about you and they are looking at a number of different roles as well that you might have done this world has become more political over the course of the last 5 years than we've ever seen Or at least we think we've ever seen i mean there's uh, in in the it, we've seen in the modern world i guess with modern technology yes in the past There were other political situations we can refer back to, you know, the 70s and the 60s. There were various little bits and pieces of strife. But I want to encourage you not to be so much of an activist. And I know that's hard for a lot of people. What's going to happen is some employers look at that and they think, in a number of different directions. One direction is, okay, this person is like this. If they're an activist like this in their personal life, are they going to be like this in the public life? They may differ with your political opinion. And while they should not discriminate against that, I, I think that's there's a certain level of inbred, no, that's not the right word, uh, built-in uh, bias that we have where people who are... Uh, who are Republican don't want to hire people who are hardcore Democrats and hardcore Democrats don't want to hire Republicans uh, or hardcore Republicans. You get the idea? So you want to be very careful on on how you approach these things. One other area that I really want to, uh, to spend a little bit more time on, and, and that is think about who you're working for. And this kind of links into that last one in that you want to be careful about how much of an activist you are. When I was last job hunting uh, right about uh, four years ago, three, four years ago, one of the things that really um, uh, that I had to stop and think about, I had uh, I had a job offer that came in from a particular series of companies uh, in the industry, which we will f- refer to as the green industry. And no, we're not talking about uh, environmental. We're talking about something that's very big in California and Colorado and a few other states, which uh, have popularized a particular substance. And I, I I looked at that and I said, you know, I'm not sure, even though it's legal, I'm not sure I can saddle myself with, with that kind of item on my resume. That's not something that I really feel that would be appropriate if I were to go work for, for any other kind of company. Some of the companies that I might work for in the future may look at that and say, we don't care if it was legal or not, there's a certain stigma that's in that field. Think about, you know, some people, uh, it, we're, we'll take it to a little bit, you know, closer things. Some people may not like the idea that I worked for an alcohol company. I didn't. Uh, like an alcohol distributor, like Budweiser or uh, or whoever. You know, they may not like that idea. So, we've got to watch for these things. We've got to watch for when we're job hunting, what is this new role going to do for our career we think about okay we get money in house but is this something you get money for two years but then you aren't employable for another 10 years that that could be a problem so you have to you have to really think about a lot of these things So it may be a social justice issue. It may be a social interaction issue. It may be one of these different things where when people do the research on you, they go back in time and they look at all of the different things that you've done. Are they going to have a struggle with this? And yeah, there are going to be chances sometimes where you can explain yourself. There are also going to be times when you don't get that opportunity. So do this wisely take care of your current situation and your future situation i will tell you uh i didn't take any of those jobs i know somebody who did and uh and it's it's just kind of funny uh, i i know that he went into that industry and right now he is struggling even Over the course of the last uh, year or so, when he could really write his own paycheck, he could say, hey, I want to work wherever I want to work because of his skill set. He struggled because, yes, he went with one of those folks in that industry. So be careful. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. Mars spacecraft has been running on Windows 98 for 19 years. The software was originally designed over 20 years ago based on the now-outdated Microsoft operating system, Windows 98. A Martian spacecraft has been running on software design more than 20 years ago in a proprietary environment based on Microsoft Windows 98, and it's now long overdue for a change, for an upgrade. The European Space Agency is updating its Mars Express Orbiter's MARSIS, that's Mars Advanced Radar for Subsurface and Ionospheric Sounding software, 19 years after the spacecraft launch. The MARSIS instrument, the first radar sounding to orbit another planet, aided in the discovery of evidence for water on Mars in 2018. MARSIS sends low-frequency radio waves towards the planet using a huge, 131-foot-long antenna as the Mars Express spacecraft orbits around Mars. The Marsa spacecraft does all of that using highly outdated software that hasn't been updated since the spacecraft launched in June of 2003. The software was designed in an environment based on Windows 98, which doesn't work with modern-day Internet. After decades of fruitful science and having gained a good understanding of Mars, Marsis, Deputy Principal Investigator who led the development, wanted to push the instrument's performance beyond some of the limitations required back when the mission began. The new software was designed by the National Institute for Astrophysics in Italy, which operates the spacecraft. The team behind the new software Implemented a number of upgrades that would improve the instrument's ability to send and receive signals, as well as its onboard data processing, to increase the amount and quality of science data sent to Earth. Previously, to study the most important features on Mars and to study its moon, Phobos, at all, they relied on a complex technique that stored a lot of high resolution data and filled up the instrument's onboard memory very quickly. By discarding data that they don't need, the new software allows them to switch Marsys on for five times as long and explores much larger area with each pass. The new software will be used to study regions near the South Pole on Mars, where signs of liquid water on the Red Planet were previously detected in lower-resolution data, with Marsys ditching its Windows 98 Software, it will be able to examine those regions much quicker using high-resolution data. Figuring out whether Mars had liquid water is crucial to knowing whether the planet was ever inhabitable during its early history and if it could have possibly hosted some form of life. Mars Express has been hard at work for the past 19 years with the spacecraft's mission being extended seven times so far. Although it is currently ESA's lowest-cost mission, Mars Express has been delivering valuable data on Mars and its moon Phobos, and with the new software update, the team behind the spacecraft is expecting greater things from this retro orbiter. It really is like having a brand new instrument on board Mars Express almost 20 years after launch. The task at hand is to replace Windows 98 with a different operating system remotely in real time. There is very little margin for error, as you must be able to maintain end-to-end communications during the transition. Senate Intelligence Committee calls on the FTC to investigate TikTok for deception. China-based employees at TikTok parent company ByteDance repeatedly access sensitive US user data in contravention of several public representations, the committee said. TikTok employees who work with sensitive US user data continue to report to ByteDance executives in Beijing, despite TikTok's recent claim to the Senate Intelligence Committee. The Senate Intelligence Committee has sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission Asking that it open an investigation into whether TikTok misled U.S. lawmakers about China based employees of its parent company, ByteDance, accessing American user data. The letter, signed by Committee Chairman Senator Mark Warner and Vice Chairman Senator Mark Rubio, cites repeated misrepresentations by TikTok concerning its data security, data processing, and corporate governance practices. It references a bombshell BuzzFeed news report that China-based employees of ByteDance regularly access sensitive U.S. user data into early 2022, according to leaked audio from more than 80 internal meetings concerning TikTok efforts to reduce the flow of data from the United States to China through a deal with cloud provider Oracle. TikTok has since confirmed that ByteDance employees in China can access sensitive U.S. user data. While TikTok has suggested that migrating to U.S.-based storage from a U.S. cloud service provider alleviates any risk of unauthorized access, these latest revelations raise concerns about the reliability of TikTok representations. The letter also highlights BuzzFeed News reporting that TikTok employees who work with sensitive U.S. user data continue to report to ByteDance executives in Beijing, despite TikTok's recent claims to the Senate Intelligence Committee that all corporate governance decisions are wholly firewalled from their PRC-based parent, ByteDance. For two years, we've talked openly about our work to limit access to user data across regions and our letter to Senators last week, we were clear about our progress in limiting access even further through our work with Oracle, TikTok spokesman said in response to a request for comment. As we've said repeatedly, TikTok has never shared U.S. data with the Chinese government, nor would we if we asked. The FTC confirmed receipt of the letter but declined to comment. TikTok has been under scrutiny since 2019 when the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, that's a CFIUS, began investigating ByteDance's acquisition of Musical.ly, the app that became TikTok, as a potential national security risk. In 2020, concerns that the Chinese government could use TikTok's vast collection of data to survey U.S. citizens prompted then-President Donald Trump to threaten to ban the app unless it was sold to a U.S. company. The ban never happened, but TikTok instead began working with CFIUS and Oracle to restrict access to some sensitive data about U.S. users from ByteDance employees in China, an effort called Project Texas. While TikTok and ByteDance publicly downplayed their relationship And emphasized that U.S. user data is stored in the United States. The leaked meetings about Project Texas revealed the extent to which China based employees have had access to this data. Everything is seen in China, a member of TikTok's trust and safety department said in a September 2021 meeting. The revelation has revived lawmakers' fears about ByteDance's relationship with TikTok and TikTok's plan to safeguard American data. On June the 24th, six senators sent a letter to the Treasury Department asking for details of the negotiations between TikTok and CFIUS, which reports into Treasury. On June the 28th, Federal Communications Commissioner Brendan Carr called on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app store. That same day, nine Republican senators also sent TikTok a letter asking questions about China-based ByteDance employees' access to U.S. user data and raising concerns that TikTok's head of public policy for the American did not provide truthful or forthright answers to the Senate Commerce Committee at a 2021 hearing. TikTok responded to the letter by saying that ByteDance employees outside of the United States can access sensitive U.S. data as long as they have been authorized to do so by a U.S.-based security team. The letter does not address the fact that employees authorized to work with U.S. user data, including the new United States Technical Services team created as part of Project Texas, report to ByteDance leadership in Beijing. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Update on beating COVID via tech.
1: Marty Winston joins me now, and he has, you know, Marty, I, I utilize you because you've followed a lot of this world. I mean, we had our, um, our whole hull uh, of shame for uvc oh, they, and 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 well, COVID UVC,
2: it was all the countermeasures uh, uh, that yeah. alleged to work and were phony oh yeah bogus stuff
1: but but now we're sitting here we're a little bit more than two years along here and i think it's kind of crazy but they're starting to shove people back to work you know through all kinds of different things i i think that's a recipe for disaster because well
2: because gas is so expensive
1: there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. You want me to drive into work? Do, have you Have you been down to the gas station? Mm, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Um. Where are we at with the whole idea of protecting, uh, protecting the office, protecting ourselves? All of
2: this, utilizing
1: whatever countermeasures.
2: Well, let uh, let me generalize. Sure. Uh, airborne things. The coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, uh, flu, the common cold—all of those are airborne virus. Almost every respiratory mm-hmm. virus is yeah, airborne. Yeah. How did it get there? It's airborne. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Sure. And, and and I should I should pause you here for just a moment. Even
1: if we were to magically, boom, today, we uh, COVID disappears, we're gonna have something new replace it and we've got other things actually still already existing stuff. yeah yeah, yeah have, so have, so uh, so we should be expending a lot of efforts into protecting us so go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off there.
2: Well, it, it's okay because in UVC, you, you were dealing with a lot of product managers who mm-hmm. didn't think it all the way through. You were dealing with electronic designers who didn't quite understand airflow. Mm-hmm. You were dealing mm-hmm. with managers who who uh, were really frustrated to find out that if you allow UVC light to escape, you won't pass OSHA or UL, so your product's not going to hit the market. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. a lot of things like that. Now. It's just one of those who cares moments. And that stuff never came true for us. We don't have some. And by the way, that stuff can kill bacteria. It can kill the fungus. It can kill virus. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't care. It's pan pathogen. Mm -hmm. Who cares? I mean, really, who cares if those diseases are still floating around the air? Other than, of course, you and me. And I went through some statistics just a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. Here are the places that would love to see... Something that creates zones where pathogens cannot exist. Those include 6,000 U.S. hospitals, Mm -hmm. 15,600 U.S. nursing homes. Yes, yes, I I can see that. Okay. 32 million Americans are germaphobes. I count my wife
1: as one of those. Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: 12 million of us are immune compromised. Mm. Yeah. So fine. So there's some people who might want it. Mm -hmm. Where do you put it? In a waiting room, in your living room, in a conference room, at a ticket counter, at the bank teller window, anywhere people encounter people on your desk. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. No, not on my desk. Underneath my desk. How about next to your desk? That that works too, just not okay. on my desk. There's too much of a disaster. I, I mean, you you can see in the camera. Look at all that mess behind me there.
2: Uh, <laughs> and you can see in a camera what mess. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: come on, it's the theater of radio. I I, I yeah. do have I do have. Uh, oh, it's over here. It's on this side. I've got an empty Red Bull can. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> I, 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 it, it, it's gonna go in the trash can, which is underneath my desk. <laughs>
2: mm. but, uh, yeah. Anyway. I think, despite the fact that, and I'll I'll generalize, everybody got it wrong when it came to UVC disinfection of mm-hmm. airborne yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think that's still a need that it would make a lot of sense to correctly fulfill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I I want to draw attention back to it, and that's why I suggest we
1: talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, where are we at with this? Do you think I mean, has everybody pretty much given up on this? Have they moved on?
2: Some have given up, and some have brought compromised products out.
1: Oh no! Don't tell and me we're going to spend another three weeks talking about the Hall of Shame again.
2: No, no. I'm I'm choosing to ignore most of them. Okay. You know, uh, and and sometimes the product may or may not work, but the idea of it is a little screwy. Mm-hmm. Okay. For example, if, if you had a countermeasure that could fit in your cup holder, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, fine if you're driving sick people around, I guess. But really... <laughs> so Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, they, they would they, they, might,
1: they would enjoy that.
2: Uh, okay, they yeah. might if, if it was effective. Yeah, yeah. But I want you to consider what it's competing with. Their mm-hmm. Their coffee. If this and is if you're in an Uber driver order.
1: at 3 a.m., which do I want you having? Um, let's see here. I want you having the caffeine. I, I want you <laughs> wide awake because I don't want to wind up on the side of the road overturned because you fell asleep.
2: And there we go. Yeah. I, I, mean, I enjoy
1: engaging them in conversation because I don't want them to fall asleep.
2: <laughs> we, uh, yeah. It, 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 you have to, it, things have to make sense for people. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a law that will go on the tombstone someday or whatever pizza I'm getting. Things have to make sense for people. And you've seen it left, right, and center throughout your career. How many times do we go to CES and see nonsense?
1: Every time? <laughs> yeah.
2: And no greater concentration. <laughs> how, did, how did we get Eureka back Park, to
1: Eureka, Eureka Park? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> They should have just stopped with Eureka. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> a lot. Eureka,
0: a lot. This is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Wins. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Google update announcements. New Gmail is coming to your account, but things are adjustable. You can hide that big sidebar now. If you use a the default theme, you'll know it has arrived when your entire Gmail interface turns blue. The most striking change is the all blue color scheme. Gmail still has a theme system. The other change with the new Gmail is the new giant sidebar. Google has long had the strategy of shoving whatever new products it wants to promote into Gmail. The new Gmail design sidebar featuring only four icons, one for Gmail, two for Google Chat, That's Google's latest messaging app, and one for Google Meet. This new design adds a second sidebar. Thankfully, there is the option to turn off the sidebar. This new no sidebar option, however, isn't very obvious, but you can do a search on the following words. How to hide new Gmail sidebars. Turning off the two sidebar layouts not only makes new Gmail look a lot more like the old Gmail. It also makes the regular Gmail sidebar work the way it used to. And what's new with Chromebooks? Well, they've announced the following. You can now see pictures from your phone instantly. Now see recent photos from your Android phone right on your Chromebook. Just open Phone Hub, and your pictures will automatically appear. No need to email them to yourself. Capture your screen, voice and face. Your voice and face in addition to your screen perfect for presentations or demos. Just open Screen Capture in quick settings, then tap the gear icon to include recording your camera and microphone. Now you can resize the docked magnifier at the top of your screen. Expand the magnifier to see more details or shrink it down to keep more of your display. Then finally, Google Hangouts is shutting down this floor. Hangouts Holdouts We'll have to finally say goodbye to Google's most resilient chat apps later this year. Google announced it would start migrating consumer Hangouts users to chat before the former is no longer available after November 2022. If you still use Hangouts on mobile, you'll see prompts starting today to move to either the standalone chat app or the chat experience in Gmail. Hangouts have been replaced by Google Chat the company declared in the notification. Over on Gmail, Google won't begin prodding Hangouts users to switch over until July. The Hangouts web client will remain available until November, and the company says users will have at least one month of warning before the platform's web page begins automatically redirecting to the chat website instead. If you're still actively using Hangouts, Google promises your conversations will automatically transfer to its newer app. That said, you can also use the company's takeout service to download a copy of your data. Google has been gradually phasing out the Hangouts brand in favor of its newer messaging services for some time now, so it's not surprising the company has finally decided to sunset the platform. And while it never enjoyed the popularity of some instant messaging apps, Hangouts had its devout fans. Public Service Announcements of Computer Club Meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut Tri-State Region. Log on to the club website for more information on Remote Meeting ID. The Westchester PC Users Group has a presentation, Ransomware, Thursday, July 7th, Meeting Time 7pm, Online Virtual Meeting via Zoom, Website is wpcug.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, July 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is limac.org. The Kingsbite Computer Club meets Tuesday, July 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. And they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. Call to confirm if you plan to attend 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation, Push-Button Computing, Streamlining Workflows with a Stream Deck. Thursday, July 14th, meeting time, 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is nyacc.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group has a presentation, Microsoft Office 365 Cloud Beginner Tutorial, Thursday, July 28th. Meeting time is 6:45 p.m. Virtual meeting via Zoom. The website is bcug.com. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, August 5th. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi, that's J-I-T-S-I, and their website is a c g n j. dot org. Happy computing. Our website is pcradioshow.org. dot org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on P R N. dot live, streaming on the internet. Podcasts of the program is available on PRN.Live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, Same time, same station, next week.